Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Tyson Bibb, and a special warm welcome to any guests or visitors joining us on this Palm Sunday slash Passion Sunday slash Confirmation Sunday. Uh, we have numerous things to be joyful over this day. And we, of course, among that is also the privilege and uh, a blessing of receiving the Lord's Supper. And as, in, uh, as is our practice according to Holy Scripture, we do ask that all those joining us at the altar this day be either a member of this congregation or a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. This is in keeping with our Lord's word that we are to be united in doctrine when we come before him, because this uh, receiving of his meal is not just a personal practice, but it is something that we do corporately as the body of Christ, and therefore he bids us to be united in our doctrine. Therefore, we ask again that you be either a member of our congregation or a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And as always, I'd love to explain further this practice if you have any questions about that. And we thank you for uh, respecting our practice here at Trinity Lutheran Church. I'll turn your attention to the bulletin here. Uh, look to the inside of the back cover. We have that section that is titled Focused on Christ. It's a summary of the readings for the day. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. Our Lord rides in this humble fashion because he is entering Jerusalem to humble himself even to the point of death on a cross. His kingly crown will not be made of gold, but of thorns, the sign of sin's curse. For his royal reign is displayed in bearing this curse for his people, saving us from our enemies by sacrificing his own life. The sinless one takes the place of the sinner so that the sinner can be freed and bear the name of Barabbas, that is, son of the father, the meaning of that name. It is at the same time, or it is at the time, forgive me, it is at the name of this exalted Savior, Jesus, that we bow in humble faith. When the, with the centurion who declared truly this was the Son of God, we are also given to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as it is Palm Sunday, we do have our procession of palms. So here in just a moment, uh, you'll see me depart. I'll go around back. Uh, and then our confirmand, Simeon Durham, is our crucifer this day. So he'll be bearing the processional cross on the way in. And I'll also have you note that the beginning of the service will actually be conducted from this white insert that says the procession of palms. So we'll begin with that this day and then pick up with divine service setting three as it's noted in your service bulletin. So if you'll give me a moment, I'll go back here to be with our procession. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon himself our flesh and to suffer death upon the cross. Mercifully grant that we may follow the example of his great humility and patience and be made partakers of his resurrection. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Old Testament reading for the Sunday of the Passion is from Zechariah, chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. 
Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, but he shall speak peace to them, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 27th chapter. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and took the reed and struck him on the head. 
And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tomb all, tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Mercy and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our sermon text this day comes from Matthew's Passion, in, uh, that is Matthew chapter 27, verse 25, where we hear this. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. This is our text. Well, have you ever read a book or watched a movie where the whole story is given to you in the first or second chapter only to then spend the rest of the story going back and unpacking all those events in detail. Well, that is so much of the purpose and thought behind Passion slash Palm Sunday. Historically, this Sunday is a coming together of two major events in one. Palm Sunday with its procession of palms and Passion Sunday with the complete unfolding of all that Christ would do in his suffering and death for our salvation. It is a Sunday in contrasts, as you have already for sure noted and experienced. There are shouts of praise, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which are followed all too soon with shouts of condemnation. Crucify, crucify him. In this we see the fickle nature of sinful humanity. 
Well, as we consider the passion of our Lord, all four Gospels give us an account of these events. However, there is something in particular about St. Matthew's Gospel that makes it unique, something which is, quite honestly, easy to overlook if you're not reading carefully. It has to do with Pontius Pilate's wife. Now, in the midst of the events of Good Friday, Pilate receives word from his wife concerning Jesus. She says, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now, this historical tidbit from Matthew 27, 19 has occupied the attention and imagination of Christians since it was written. Now, some may have thought that, uh, that God gave her this dream similar to that of Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if that was the case, then, well, it was yet another warning for Pilate. It was another piece of evidence that pointed to Jesus' innocence, and there was already a whole pile of proof to that end. By refusing to listen to his wife's advice, if indeed it had come from God, well, then Pilate was not only foolish, he was sinful. But even with all this, there is something decidedly wrong with the advice that Pilate received from his wife. You see, she said to her husband, have nothing to do with that righteous man. But really, she should have told him, have everything to do with this righteous man, for he is the God-man, the Christ, the promised Savior of us all. You see, the fact is, Pilate wanted to follow her advice, but he didn't know how. He was trapped by the need to please the angry mob before him, and he couldn't find a way out of it. He was in a position that many politicians find themselves in. After the crowd had refused every negotiation and every idea which Pilate could muster, they chose Barabbas, a notorious murderer, over Jesus. At that point, Pilate tried to distance himself from what had just occurred. He tries to wash his hands of it, if you will, but this effort was futile. The truth is, Pilate was not innocent in this. He couldn't just look the other way while the angry mob had its way with Jesus. That, of course, would have been evil enough on its own. But no, instead, he knowingly sent an innocent man to his death. Now, of course, it could be said that Pilate's motives were kind of good. They were good-ish. He knew the crowd before him was evil. He knew what they were doing and even why they were doing it. St. Matthew tells us, for he, Pilate, knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. He did not want to give in to these people and their malice. But you see, this is where his kind of good or good-ish motives, well, they ran aground. Because Pilate fell victim to another sin, that of self-righteousness. He claimed that he was innocent, but tragically he was without any virtue. In keeping with his wife's advice, in the end, he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. The mob was evil. They were motivated by evil, and they desired evil. They mocked God, and they boldly confessed their sinful intentions. Let his blood be on us and on our children. That's what they cried. Now, they said this not because they were convinced of Jesus' guilt. No, they said it because they didn't care about the truth of Christ's innocence. They wanted blood. They couldn't care less what God thought about the situation. They expected no response from heaven, and they had no fear of hell. They were willing to risk even the lives and souls of their children. And it begs the question, why? For what reason? Well, it was for the gory spectacle of Jesus' public crucifixion. See, of all the characters in this drama, Pilate is sympathetic, if not downright pathetic. Nevertheless, 
good motives, they do not make an action good. They're only somewhat better than open evil. But let's take a moment this morning and think on those words of the mob. You see, they were meant for evil, but honestly, they're the words of a perfect Christian prayer. I mean, think about it. A Christian can never say with Pontius Pilate, I am innocent of this man's blood. We can't say that because we're not innocent. Jesus died for our sins. He died because of our sins. His blood was poured out as a sacrificial payment for our guilt, for our iniquity. But we can stand and say, we can stand with that evil mob and say ourselves, let his blood be on us and upon our children. Now, why? Well, because what that mob meant for evil, God used for the ultimate good. And rather than Christ's blood condemning us and damning us, his blood forgives us, even though he was innocent and we are guilty. Christ Jesus is our Passover lamb who was slain, and as such, his blood marks us as his own, so that the angel of death passes over us. His blood washes us clean of sin, and we are justified, that is, declared innocent, not guilty and holy in God's sight. The blood of Jesus creates an everlasting communion between him and between us. Now, in addition to being Palm Sunday and Passion Sunday, this is also Confirmation Sunday. And it's the case here for us and for so many other congregations. See, Confirmation is an important event in the life of a young Christian, but I'll be honest with you, you're not going to find Confirmation anywhere in the Bible. It's not there. Confirmation is nowhere prescribed or even spoken of by Moses, the prophets, the apostles, or Jesus. So then it begs the question, why? Why is it important? Well, Confirmation Day is a milestone in, the, in a lifetime of learning and growing in God's pure word. As Christians, we have a term for this lifelong learning of God's word, and that term is catechesis. Now, this is where Luther's small and large catechisms get their name, indeed, where all catechisms get their name, because the term catechesis, it comes from a Greek word, katakain, which means to sound forth, or to sound again, or really, most simply, to echo. Therefore, the educational process of catechesis is the sounding again, or the echoing, of the historic truths of the Christian faith drawn from Holy Scripture from one generation to the next. An elder generation presents the content of the Christian faith, and the younger generation echoes back what they have learned. Catechesis, then, in its simplest form, is a sort of call and response of the truths of the Christian faith. Now, Luther's small catechism, it exemplifies this in its structure and in its form. Although there were already many catechisms prior to Luther's work, his innovation in structuring the book in a question-and-answer format, that was completely new to the genre. But that's enough for the history lesson for now. Confirmation Day is important because on this day, God's baptized children, in this case God's baptized child, Simeon Durham, confesses the one true faith as his own. Confirmands have been instructed, read, catechized in the Christian faith such that they stand before God, their pastor, and their congregation, and they confess that the doctrine of the evangelical Lutheran Church, drawn from the Holy Scriptures as they have learned and known it from the small catechism, is faithful and true. With God's help, they declare their intent to faithfully hear God's word and faithfully receive his sacrament, the Lord's Supper. In addition, they declare their intention to live according to God's word for life 
and remain true to the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even unto death. And finally, they declare their intention to continue steadfast in this confession of the Christian faith and in this church and to suffer all, even death, rather than to fall away from it. All of this, of course, is promised with the aid and by the grace of God. Honestly, every Confirmation Day, it causes me to think back on these promises which are made. You see, when another year of catechism classes is complete, I cannot help but wonder how much the students realize the significance of these basic teachings of God's Word. Now, nearly all pastors I know share this thought, but, so this is kind of an inside look today, if you will. After all, you want these young Christians to really know and understand the importance of all that they've been taught. You want them to understand that when it comes down to it, the six chief parts of the catechism, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, Baptism, Confession, Absolution, and the Lord's Supper, these are the core of Christian teaching and life. Just as important as the fact that Christ's life, suffering, death, and resurrection is connected to all of these teachings. Indeed, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus form the heart, center, and foundation of the Christian faith, and therefore, catechesis. So when confirmation classes are completed, you hope and pray that they understand and retain what they have learned, not just for the final test or the public examination, but for their whole lifetime. If we're honest with ourselves, dear saints, the importance of these teachings, it, they break upon us all over time as the Holy Spirit continues to enlighten us with the gifts of Christ's holy word and his holy sacrament. You see, over time, those teachings, which were or are cloudy to us, they begin to break as the bright sunlight of truth and Holy Spirit-given knowledge from the scripture comes and rests upon us. Indeed, thanks be to God for all of those aha moments that we have because of the Holy Spirit. After all, you too have had your time of instruction, no matter how long ago it may have been. And the vows that you made then, they are just as important today. And so I'll exhort you, do not turn away from the vows of faithfulness you have made to remain faithful to God's word and his blessed sacraments. You see, your need for these gifts will not come to an end until you are gathered finally to your heavenly home with that great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us. So also, do not turn away from the Holy Week, which begins in earnest today. As strange as it might sound, rejoice in Jesus' sufferings and death because you know that that is how he has loved you and his word and his sacraments are where he loves you now. Let his blood be upon you and upon your children. Believe these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. You see, the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is his suffering and death, which culminates in his glorious resurrection, these things are not a tragedy, but a glorious victory over sin, death, and the devil, given to you by grace. It is the story of God's great love for you. Indeed, it is your story. So let his blood be upon us and upon our children. We don't deserve its blessing, but nevertheless, our Lord graciously desires to give this blessing to us. For it is in the blood of Jesus that there is life and there is salvation. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord. 
for a mind like Christ Jesus to spurn all worldly equality that we would humble ourselves here and find his greater portion in the life of the world to come. Let us pray to the Lord. For the church of Christ, that her faith would remain fixed upon his death for our salvation, and that his gospel would be proclaimed and lived out until he comes again in glory. Let us pray to the Lord. For all Christian fathers, that receiving Christ, the Heavenly Father's Son, who was sacrificed for them, they in turn would be enlivened to sacrificial love for their own children. Let us pray to the Lord. For those in authority over us, that they would have the same mind as Christ, who sacrificed himself for us, and so fulfill their duty even to the least of these. Let us pray to the Lord. For all who suffer in this world, especially Ron Gibson, Bob Rash, Chuck Lichty, Erlene Lakey, Lisa Rash, and Ted Phillips, that they would not fear but fix their eyes on Jesus as they await the fullness of their salvation. Let us pray to the Lord. For Simeon Durham and all Christian catechumens, that the Holy Spirit would continue to enlighten them with his gifts, sanctify and keep them in the one true faith unto life everlasting. Let us pray to the Lord. For all who commune, that the Lord, who humbly rode into Jerusalem for our salvation, would give to us hearts that confess our sin and rejoice in his presence in the Holy Communion for our salvation. Let us pray to the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We praise you, Father, that you have sent your Son, not in wrath, but in mercy. As we enter this most holy week and ponder together the mysteries of your great salvation, Show to us the answer to your people's prayers of Hosanna, save now, in the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, once a good welcome and God's blessings to you on this Passion Sunday and Confirmation Sunday. Simeon, God's blessings to you and congratulations on this day. A handful of announcements before we depart, of course, immediately following service, Sunday school and Bible study. Uh, And then this Tuesday, we have our new member class at 7 p.m. Wednesday, we go back to our normal midweek schedule here as we then have uh, midweek school, uh, the final of our, among the final of our confirmation classes, uh, workout class and choir rehearsal following afterwards. This Thursday, of course, with it being Holy Week, we have Maundy Thursday, Divine Service at 7 p.m. And then on Good Friday at 7, also our Good Friday service. Special thanks to all those who prepared uh, the meals throughout the Lenten midweek services. Uh, That was greatly appreciated. Um, Also, again, God's blessings to you, Simeon, on this wonderful day. And when I get done talking, you know, you might be wondering, when is that ever going to happen? I'll have you come with me outside and we'll greet the people together, okay? All right, uh, confirmation students and parents are invited to a special lesson on Wednesday, April 20th. Uh, I'm going to be working with the Altar Guild to discuss the uh, origin of uh, Altar Guilds, what their duty is, and exactly how they go about doing their services here at the congregation, especially as it comes to um, uh, preparing communion and cleaning up afterwards. I'll have their help with that. So uh, please come at 4 p.m. Parents are invited and encouraged uh, to attend. We'll begin in the Bible study room and then finish the class or have the second half of the class rather in the sacristy. And then of course, please note in the bulletin our times for Easter worship and Easter breakfast. And then one last thing, lest I forget, uh, you'll find these um, little pamphlets on the way out the door on the table there and also on the glass case. 
Uh, Gloria is a Lutheran publishing house that takes Lutheran hymns and turns them into beautifully illustrated books uh, for uh, children, youth, and adults. So uh, we have a group order discount available to us in our congregation, and you have plenty of time to make up your mind. Uh, you're to order online by April 24th, and then the special web address, address is a, included on the handout. So please see that if you are at all interested. We have a handful of these books ourselves in our home, and they do a wonderful job of teaching the truths of Scripture uh, to the words of our Lutheran hymns with some beautiful illustrations there. So I'll encourage you to take a look at that. Uh, I do believe that brings us to the end of our announcements. Anything I may have missed? All right, with that being said, the Lord bless you and keep you as you go into this holy week. And Simeon, I'll have you join me as we'll greet you at the door.